Good day and welcome to today's show. It is here where we ensure that your running mind is renewed, that those runs which weren't fun, those training sessions that seemed horrendously slow, those sprints that felt like slow motion, <laughs> that you keep the faith because as long as you are doing means as long as you're actually going out there, it is half of the job. It's already done. You know, staying indoors, having excuses, lack of goals, lack of determination, all that is going to lead you to nowhere. And who wants to be there? <laughs> exactly, no one. So here goes. Welcome to Hypno Running, the show where we do more than just talk about running. We help you find solutions to develop your full potential, making you a better, faster, and smarter runner. And here is your host, Heiko. Hey, yes, thank you for joining me on today's show. As the lady said, my name is Highcore Advanced Endurance Coaching. What are we all about? Helping you become, as the lady said, hey, we're here to help you become better. That's it. I know you want to long, run longer, you want to run further, you want to become faster. We're helping you with that. Er, It is the third season, no ads in this show at all. Just doing it really to... Yeah, to help you renew your mind. But today, in today's show, I need your patience and I need to request some tolerance. Why? It's a difficult subject. Come to mind. Now, I mean, just try and find something about, on the internet, right now today, about Lance Armstrong. Ouch, I said it. Hey, well, Heiko, he's a cyclist. I know he's a cyclist, but I'm taking him for a reason. What comes to mind? Perhaps a lot of angry words, disappointment. He's a cheat. He never should have been. And, and I read his books, and then I threw all his books out because he's a cheat. And, and, and. Not only he's a cheat, he was a bully as well. And he lied, and what have you. Whew, and so it is. Hmm. Hardly anything except that he got banned. That's out there on the internet. And that today is our source of reference, is it not? I mean, the Britannica Encyclopedia it used to be the main source of verifying something. But nowadays, the internet can delete you off the map so quickly. It's like he never existed. It's like he never rode up those hills. And I saw him. I saw him ride up those hills a couple of times. And no... <laughs> Of course not. What he and so many other riders did was not correct. But was it a surprise? Really? It was a surprise to you? Come on, there's so much money involved. So anywhere there where there's so much money involved, sports usually it goes haywire. Fact is, a phenomenal athlete, some great achievements, and for me, still worth mentioning. His LifeStrong organization, do you know, especially if you're critical of him, do you know how much money... This uh, foundation raised uh, for cancer awareness and, and all that. Well, let's put it differently. All those of you that picked up a stone and threw it, how much did you raise before you picked up that stone? I can tell you my own efforts to raise money. <laughs> it is nothing. It is nothing compared to what the LifeStrong organization raised. I'll tell you. It is exactly the amount that the Credit Suisse Group has agreed to pay to the U.S. in a case fraudulently misleading investigators who violated the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. 500 million U.S. dollars. Boom. Ha! 500 million U.S. dollars. That should deserve harsher critique than a cyclist, shouldn't it? Hey, but you know what? It happened in Mozambique, you know, who, who knows where that is anyway. So let me rather criticize a cyclist that has no influence or effect on my life at all. <laughs> hey, 
Don't worry. We're not going to discuss Lance Armstrong. It's just my point of view. It's a, but we're going to discuss another fallen American sports star. And there are many. You know, today, I want to look at some of the characteristics of an athlete that was known for giving it all, for crossing the limits. And he really did this. Now, if you don't feel comfortable around the subject, if this has already triggered you like Lance Armstrong, oh my goodness, you know, I thought this is like, you know, a real... Then perhaps... Join us for next week's show, because fact is, success leaves clues, and there were times where these athletes indeed were pushing the limits in a legal environment, in a legal framework, and, and that's where we're going to look at today. So Zalazar, Alberto Zalazar, I first heard the name mentioned at about 9 a.m. on May 31st, 1994. Why do I know that? Because I'd never heard of him before, that date, that moment, that was when he took the lead. <laughs> well, actually, it couldn't mean anything. I was in my early 20s then. There was no iPhone, no internet. But I, I remember I saw him. I saw him running in the live Comrades broadcast of the Comrades Marathon, South Africa. And he wore cool shades. <laughs> like these huge sh shades that one wore back then. <laughs> and me, my friends, my neighbors, most fellow South Africans, we were shocked. Because the years before, from 1928 till 1981, it was South Africans, one or two British, that, that won the race. And then from 81 to 90, it was Bruce Fordyce. And wait, no, in between, there was Sam Chabalala, a great runner. Uh, he won the 1989 race. But the rest of the time, it was Bruce Fordyce, nine times winner. And in 1992, it was the first time South Africans were shocked because... A German came and won the race. Ouch, Charlie Doll, well done. Came out of nowhere and he wins our race. Incredible, you know. So you can understand that many South Africans wanted that victory to go to another South African. One of those like who were in the top five and he deserves a place. You know, it was all like this deserved type of mentality. <laughs> and, and here comes the German and he won the year before. And, and suddenly... Everybody's shocked. A American is leading the race. And, you know, in South Africa at that time, you didn't know a lot about America. You know what you saw in the movies. So it was for us like American, you know. And now these reporters, they've got to quickly get a story here. They never expected it. So hang on. He's an American, but he's born in Havana. Uh-huh. Raised in Massachusetts, Connecticut. Uh-huh. And then the, the comrades reporters, they started getting the facts together. And as the race progressed, it's a long race. You know, even the top guys, they run five and a half hours. So, and apparently, this guy had won three consecutive New York marathons. <laughs> but that was in 81, where he also set a world record of 2.08 for the marathon. That's still pretty impressive, isn't it? 2.08. Just watched the Berlin Marathon where Elliot Kipchoge did the 2.01. I mean, we dropped seven minutes on that in the past 30 years. That's incredible. Then the following spring at the Boston Marathon, uh, Alberto Zalazar trained with Dick Birdsley, and he was considered to be the most experienced uh, trainer for, for the marathon distance. Uh, uh, sorry, um, for running the distance. And, you know, they battled it out for the 26.2 miles where Zalazar won by a two-second margin. And another, apparently, you know, this made Zalazar a household name in America. What? And we'd never heard of him. <laughs> um, at that time, he earned more money than many professional ball players. 
Even his photo appeared on the cover of national magazines. Ronald Reagan greeted him at the White House reception. What? We still never had heard of him. And next thing, this guy is looking strong and we're cheering on our South African runners. They're not doing well that day, obviously. And those watching were already predicting well, he's going to fail. You know, he doesn't know the course. I mean, he's going to fail on, on, on Polly. He's going to fa fail on little Polly's. No, he's he's going to fail due to the heat. No, he's going to fail because... So many reasons why we thought he would fail. He's an American. He'd never been here before. He's never run it before. You can't just come here and run in the race and win it. Well, hmm, this was our local knowledge and experience. We thought it's going to prevail. <laughs> and the South African broadcasters, they brought out more facts. Listen to this. And we're watching this race. It's the only thing that's on TV on that Saturday, okay? And... Apparently, Americans themselves said that Zalazar was as washed up as, and I quote, as a bottle on a beach. He hadn't run particularly well since New York and Boston in the early 80s. <laughs> and there's no news during like, like Twitter and Facebook, you know, so no, nobody even knew he traveled for, for, uh, to South Africa for the comrades. So back in the 70s, in the 80s, actually, yes, Alberto Zalazar, he was winning a lot of things. He was winning a, a lot of the top marathon road races in the country and then as he got older as injuries set in uh, like like most athletes they eventually started to decline and um, in, in the book actually I, I read his book um, quite a couple of years back because simply because I remembered the name and I'd never heard of him again and he, he never raced the comrades again he just came there once and he won it and went back like done it did it bought the t-shirt how cool is that <laughs> and um, uh, yes the book um, he, he talked about in the book that in the uh, 1984 Olympics, you know, he, he had this great history of, of uh, winning all these New York and Boston victories. And then in the Olympics, he finished 15th and he was incredibly disappointed with that. And it was at that point where he said to himself, um, and I quote, well, maybe I'm not going to be able to compete at the top level of road races anymore than marathons. And then... <clears throat> His body actually like shut down. You know, after the age of 24, he never got back onto a world-class performance. At 27, he was completely finished. And the, the, the result, if, if you read his book, you know, it's really that obsession that drove him um, and, and almost destroyed him. Uh, what I mean is his, his body. And let me quote here. Zalara decided he was going to become the greatest marathon in the world. He took a break during his senior year, the way he did the New York City Marathon 1980, ran a promising sub 10, uh, 210, and uh, then he did a 209. It was the fastest debut marathon ever. And then at age 23, he did the world record in New York. Um, but there was some controversy about the race distance. That doesn't matter. That's why that record isn't there. But his whole life was consumed with winning that gold medal in 1984. Ah, that's what I should have explained earlier. Sorry. Um, he, he really wanted to excel at the 84 Olympic marathons. And uh, uh, he felt like a complete failure. And at, at, at age 27, he felt everything was taken away from him. And then by the 1980s, end of the 80s, he, he tried a couple of, of brief uh, comebacks at some events, but nothing special, you know. And of course, he, he entered some dark years because nobody had heard of him. Until then, you know, in 1994, <laughs> uh, he came out of obscurity. You know, 10 years later, and he won that Comrades Ultramarathon.
which by the way, if you don't know it, it's a 54-mile event, uh, 90 kilometers or 89 kilometers, um, depending on uh, where the race starts and where it ends in which of the stadiums. It starts in Pietermaritzburg and ends in Durban. That's the downrun, or it goes from Durban all the way up. It's called the uprun to Pietermaritzburg. It is a huge event with fantastic... Fantastic spectators, fantastic race stories, a hundred year history. I really recommend it. If you want to set a big Herio Dashes goal, check it out. The comrades, there's a look at uh, there's a lot of information out there uh, on YouTube on that. Now, uh, when when the people started to, especially the South African broadcasters, started to figure out, you know, what's up with this guy in the in the weeks after he he had won, it turns out, and he writes about this in his book as well that um, he was so injury-prone leading up to the race, and, and he had to retire actually from competitive marathons and road racing, and what he did is he incorporated treadmill running. And this treadmill running allowed him to run to get the cardiovascular benefits, of course, without all the ground pounding that you get by running outside. And he actually accredits this treadmill training to winning the 54-mile Comrades Marathon in South Africa. By the way, the world's most competitive ultramarathon. <laughs> so through the, the winter months, he trained for the race by running six-minute miles on the treadmill in his basement and apparently while reciting the rosary. Uh, if you want to read, the, 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 there's one book which is available um, on Amazon uh, about him, but it's, it's more about the treadmill manufacturer, I think. I wouldn't recommend that one. Uh, unless you you really want to use some of his training plans as well. But who wants to run on a treadmill? I mean, you know, anyway. So he even describes uh, that how after the surgery he ran in such a way, the, the, the foot strike, to minimize the pain, to minimize the pain. <laughs> so it's, it's hard for me as a recreational runner to even fathom this, this dedication you know, in your basement, alone on a treadmill, you know, a top runner, reduced to slow times in a dark corner where no one sees you. What's all going on in his brain? What mindset did this guy have? And the best part was, listen to this, when asked about his goal, before the comrades, they asked him, what's your goal? And he said, I'm going to win it. <laughs> and since he'd never run an ultra, nobody gave him much of a chance, but he won the race. So what enabled him to, to, to travel to a country he'd never been to before, enter a race for the first time, beat the local legends, run double the distance you usually run, overcome serious injuries, and win? What needs to be happening in your mind? How do you train in a basement on a treadmill for that? You know, Read any training plans and anywhere. For any marathon, for any 10K, I sincerely doubt that unless you live on the, on the what's it called, the Amundsen Scott South Pole Station that you need to suffer on a treadmill. No, go run outside. So his training methods, you know, and, and, and again, putting aside the charges of the Nike Oregon Project, his training methods, apart from, from pure speed development and maintenance, Zalazar, he had his athletes work on the 800 and 1,500 abilities throughout the year and away from races. And he says, you don't get burnt out by doing speed work through the year. You will get burnt out if you are running all out as fast as you can frequently. So these sessions are controlled fast running rather than all out efforts. And he did that with Mo and with Gallen, and they do short and fast track work throughout the stages of the training. So 15 times 200 meters in 28 seconds. <laughs> 
Then Alberto Zalazar is very strong on strength training, strong contractions. Also, he molds his athletes around a structure of 2 by 20 week macro cycles. 2 by 20 week macro cycles. Leading into each micro cycle is a build up block of 3 to 4 weeks. We had it last week, building up the base. And after each macro cycle, during mid year and end year, athletes take 2 to 3 weeks rest. And, and, and most of it is spent away from running. So this is completely different. So he also has his athletes on a regular basis where they repeat the same workout. Why? To monitor their performance. So there's nothing new coming along, you know. Boosts their confidence close to race time when they're looking good. That's when you want to boost your confidence, when you're looking great. Not when you're feeling like, oh, I could hardly run to downfields. No, when you feel great, you know, that's when you do that. And about uh, Alberto Zalaza on toughness, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm quoting here, you've got to have mental toughness and confidence in yourself where you believe that you can take those days off and you can recover and you can run great. And what he says is a lot of what we see in athletes that just train all the time, they never give themselves recovery, is often we think it's toughness. But actually, it, it's weakness. That's what he says. It's an insecurity that you're not good enough to recover like other athletes. I'm not good enough to do that. I need to keep running. I can't take time off. I can't take easy days off. He says that is a huge, huge risk. So, it, you know, every day runners seek instant improvements and subscribe to get fit quick approaches. His quote. Now I'm quoting him here. To training that guarantees they'll be in the best shape of their lives in 10 weeks or less. Sorry, folks, but it just doesn't work that way in distance running. Now you can see why I'm a little bit of a fan of these training methods. Hey, but now let me close today's show. For those of you that listen till the end, thank you very much. Good show of character there. See, nowhere does it say we should judge. Rather, let's learn from other people's mistakes. And cheating is, is huge in amateur sports as well. So... What does the Bible say about forgiving someone who cheated or did wrong to others? Scripture is clear that Christians should always be willing to forgive any offense of any magnitude. Ephesians tells us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Thanks for listening. Join us next week. My name is Heiko. God bless you. And remember, take it easy.